0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices.
1: Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
2: Welcome to the Cotton Club crew. We have a special episode today. To get ready for the Independence Bowl, we decided to reach out to an expert in all things Cal, Thomas Dunn. Thomas writes for Write for California, a blog that follows the Golden Bears. He's the best guy for the job when it comes to getting ready for the battle in Shreveport at the Independence Bowl. I, I got to be honest, I imagine most Tech fans are in the same boat, have not watched a lot of Cal football this year, or much uh, Pac-12 football in general, been, been focused on the Big 12 action. So the best we can do instead of us just trying our best to research the issue is ask someone who knows the squad best. Thomas, thanks for being with us tonight.
1: Hey, it's my pleasure, man. And there's actually a lot of similarities once we once we get down to the nitty gritty of it. You know, There's a lot of guys who emulate others on the other side of the football, so I'm excited to get into it.
2: Sounds good to me. We're going to get right rocking and rolling. We're going to start by talking about the Cal season to the bowl game. You know, the Cal Bears and both Texas Tech and Cal not. I, I, I mean, expectations for Tech were about as high as they possibly could be. I am not certain where they were for the Golden Bears. Um, But, you know, very similar results in the season. Cal having some pretty shocking upset wins that allowed it to get to bowl eligibility, including that win over UCLA. Let's talk about the season overall, though. What What's the sense around the program right now? Was this a mission accomplished year? Did they, are they ahead of schedule, behind schedule? or they, are you know, Cal has not had a great run the last 10 years. So where's the program at after this year?
1: I would say for this season in particular, they were just about on schedule and people within the program aren't necessarily going to believe that answer from me, because obviously they're a part of the football program. They believe they are the best team in the nation. But in my case, and in the case of many other Cal fans, the goal this year was to get to a bowl game. Last year was a four and eight disaster on all fronts, losing to Colorado for their only win of the season and it was, frankly, it was just a mutil- mutilating. It was embarrassing at some points during the 2022 season. So this past season was a bunch of refinements, getting tons of names in the transfer portal on both sides of the ball, namely uh, Noel Williams and David Reese on defense, uh, Sam Jackson the fifth on offense. And uh, before we get to what happened with Sam Jackson the fifth, it was just seen as okay. Cal's making a name for themselves here in the transfer portal. They're getting a good group of guys that are coming in ready to represent the Golden Bears out on the football field. And then when you turn into the new staff editions of Mike Blush, an offensive line coach, a very big name in the world of Texas over there, and Jake Spavital, another big name in the world of Texas, it's you know safe to say Cal fans are like, okay, you know we're on the right path here, Justin Wilcox, year seven. We can't be having any more slides in action. Otherwise, it's going to be on the hook for possibly his job. And it's not a healthy buyout and not a buyout Cal would be willing to pay. So at the start of the year, they rolled with Sam Jackson, the fifth. And uh, he was not he was not ready. He was injured and then also not ready. Um, eventually uh, succumbed to the starting starting quarterback position after the Arizona State game and gave way to Fernando Mendoza. Uh, Cal, before they even got to that point, they were also in a little bit of chaos themselves, having missed three field goals against Auburn in a 14-10 loss. And it was just a really unsteady start. They beat up North Texas well. They lost the game they should have won against uh, Auburn. They came back against Idaho and a pretty staunch, staunchy FCS opponent, but just not a game you really need to mess around with. Got slaughtered by now CFP playoff hope, uh, playoff team, Washington, and then just really skated by ASU. And then the Cal coaches were like, all right, we've seen enough. We're going to turn to Fernando Mendoza, who was our third string quarterback and is really taking the reins. He's been really huge. And uh, now, even though Jake Spavitol has since departed to Baylor, him, Spavitol, and mike blush have been absolutely phenomenal down the second half of the stretch here after getting absolutely blitzed by oregon a common opponent that both the red raiders and the golden bears have 63 to 19 in Austin, and that was not a not a fun time there cal was three and six and basically had to win win to get into a bowl eligibility and they did so upending washington state winning the big game against stanford and surprisingly blitzing ucla in the rose bowl as the pac 12 bound to the night so all so much to say a short story uh, it's a cliche of it was a tale of two seasons. It was the season of the inconsistent quarterback play and inconsistent defensive play in the first half. And then once Fernando Mendoza took over, it was a new lease on life for the California Golden Bears.
2: Let's talk about that three game winning streak. You know, Texas Tech was in a similar position, needing a late run to get to bowl eligibility. Um f- I will say that Tech probably had an easier group to get through to make bowl eligibility than Washington State, Stanford, and UCLA. Stanford being, of course, a bit of a pushover, but neither Washington State and UCLA being pushovers. Those are tough opponents. Um, What what would you say the biggest factor in allowing, in particular, the win over UCLA that kind of sparked that three-game win streak to close out with bowl eligibility in hand?
1: yeah i talked to a lot of the players and coaches especially after the oregon game it's just like how can you assess your own perspective at being three and six coming off a absolutely shellacking loss up and you know up in eugene and they really emphasized just taking a step back and realizing being one to know the next week you know taking another step back and just realizing where's your mindset at how are you going to attack these last three games i think that was the big theme that stuck out or down the stretch of the season you know washington state the defense came to play had i believe Two defensive touchdowns, possibly a third. If I'm uh, that game, actually wasn't present for. But that, I heard that was really good. Kate Uluwave, him and Ben Roberts are going to have a lot of similarities when we preview more of this matchup. Stanford, a team that Cal fans have no love lost for, despite the alliance into the Atlantic Coast Conference next year. That was a, a game where Cal fans took over Stanford Stadium, and then UCLA taking really taking it too, and a very elite defense out in the Pac-12 with a guy in Latu who's winning a tons of postseason accolades for his performance throughout the year. And Cal went in there and said, all right, expectations, forget about them. We're going to show, we're going to show out. We're going to be like, this is one, our one and zero for this week. We're five and six, but we have a mission to get to ball eligibility. Even if it isn't how we drew it up at the start of the year, we're going to find a way to get it done. And I think the, the guys really came together and understood, okay, you know, we owe it to ourselves to be better down the stretch. And they eventually did so squeaking by Washington state, Dominating the big game against Stanford and then eventually just shellacking UCLA down in the Rose Bowl.
0: So given that that three, and O to get bowl eligible and things like that, I believe that you guys are having or do you all even know who's going to be calling the plays on Saturday um, for you guys with the departure of um, Spadal?
1: Yeah, so it'll be a newly uh, appointed offensive coordinator and still retaining his offensive line. Uh, head coach uh, position uh, Mike blush and Mike blush probably a familiar name to many people out in Texas for his work at North Texas these past few seasons so he'll be calling the plays he'll be uh, we'll see what he current comes up with with Fernando Mendoza he really likes to run the ball and really be likes to be balanced based on my uh, experience of seeing him at North Texas and seeing how he was uh, implementing his offensive line system here out in uh, California so He'll be the guy calling the plays, and he hasn't decided whether he's calling the plays from the box or the sideline yet, but that's something he's working towards because we do have a little bit of coaching carousel right now because uh, our tight ends coach, Tim Plough, accepted the head coaching position at UC Davis, but we'll stick around for the bowl game, so it's a little bit of a coaching shortage and like uh, coaching musical chairs, if you will, for Cal on offense.
2: Let's start on that theme then for the the, the breakdown of the offense. Let's start with any, who you know Texas Tech has had quite a few uh, uh, guys already enter the portal, already decide they were opting out on both sides of the ball. In particular, the receiving group has been hit pretty hard for the Cow Bears on the offensive side of the ball. What are what are the big names that have opted out, if any, for this offense?
1: Surprisingly, there haven't been that many opt-outs on offense, which I think is just something that Cal fans weren't necessarily expecting at this point in time. It was. People were concerned about Jade Knott because Jade Knott's the guy that people like other programs were looking at. They're like, oh, Jade Knott's going to get the NIL money. He's going to be the guy that's like, oh, he's going to be the prized possession of some other team if other things go wrong or if other things happen. So they were. that was the name that Cal fans were watching for. They didn't necessarily like, he's, he's ready to go and he will play Saturday. So that's good to see. The other guys who did opt out are some of our depth receivers, uh, wide receiver Brian Hightower uh, declared for the NFL draft and uh, wide receiver uh, Taj Davis. Uh, the transfer from Washington moved on from the program and uh, will not play Saturday at the Independence Bowl. But other than that, it's really been smooth sailing for Cal. Uh, there was another backup offensive lineman, Braden Rome, who's like basically our sixth offensive lineman who comes in as like swing tackle. If someone were to go down on the offensive line, I think that'd be something that could raise an alarm bell or two. But nothing egregious per se on offense. I think it's mainly been more on defense where the, the transfers have been and been more impactful.
0: So staying on the offensive side of the football there, obviously Jaden Ott is probably y'all's bread and butter as like our Taj Brooks. He's y'all's Tosh Brooks, 1300 yards on the ground on the year, 11 touchdowns, about five and a half per carry. And then I do think he has a couple receiving touchdowns on the year as well. How big is it to have him in the backfield? And is it going to be crucial that he gets involved early in this game for the bears to be in this game? Yeah, I mean, it's everything.
1: It's absolutely everything to have Jade Nott not only available, but to take a workhorse load. These past few weeks, especially Stanford-UCLA, he's been put in a number of positions, getting like 30 carries a game in the big game to close it out against Stanford, against UCLA. He was put at kick return and scored a kickoff return touchdown. That was big. Jade Nott is the heart and soul of this offense. He's the workhorse. He's the production guy. He's the guy. And like you mentioned with Todd Brooks, he's the guy who they're going to get touches with them early and often. They have to do it. Otherwise, they're not going to be as effective as they can. I think another guy that's really going to look to prove himself on Saturday more than he already has is a wide receiver, Jeremiah Hunter. He's going to be really big. I think those two guys, if you're Cal, you have to look to get the ball quickly, consistently, and in a place where they can go out and make some plays.
2: Now, I, I like to ask this question because I think it gives a good sense for where uh, where you know everybody should be paying attention. When you're looking at what Texas Tech does defensively and you're looking at what Cal does offensively, which matchup are you looking at as one that you think is going to decide which of these units has the most success on Saturday?
1: I think it's going to be along the lines of the offensive line and defensive line. The trenches usually win a lot of matchups, whatever gets dictated within there. I think as a byproduct of that matchup, it's going to be whether Jade Nott or Ben Roberts for Cal and Texas Tech respectively are going to be the guys that step up to the plate and make plays. Can Jade Nott make a man miss in the open field? Can Ben Roberts shoot a gap and get Jade Nott down for less, or less of a carry than he would have had otherwise? I think those are the things are really should be up and into account right now because though Cal and Texas Tech, I think they're somewhat of looking themselves in the mirror in terms of who they are and how they operate. And I think – when they meet in the middle, Jade not Ben Roberts, those are going to be the guys who are like, okay, this is either my moment or the other guy's moment, and it's not going to be anything else in between as a by-proxy of what happens in the trenches.
0: So staying on the offensive side of the ball, obviously in the trenches, that's usually where the games are won and lost. We've been saying that all night, and day, and mm-hmm. you know, as our podcasts have gone along during the season, just one of those things. Who are those offensive linemen that are going to be starting for the Cal Bears? How long have they played together? What's the Is it a, a unit that's been together for a majority of the season? Has it been some mixed and match pieces due to injuries? How is that unit as a whole um, health-wise right now?
1: Yeah, early in the season there was a pretty significant injury. Uh, center Matthew Sindrick uh, tore his uh, bicep for the second straight season and was immediately lost for the year in the first half against North Texas. And uh, Brian Driscoll shifted over from left guard to center. And for the rest of the year, Cal has surprisingly not – had that many injuries along the offensive line, whereas the prior few years they have had some really big depth problems, especially when it came down the stretch of of the 2022 season. Uh, So for right now, the starting lineup will be uh, left tackle Barrett Miller, Stanford transfer. He started uh, all 12 games, exited early from the last UCLA game, but I believe he'll be good to go. At left guard, it's kind of like a timeshare between uh, Matthew Wyckoff, the Texas A&M transfer, and Bastion Swinney. So those who will be sometimes trading off as quickly as every single drive. Uh, Brian Driscoll will be at center. Uh, Siwapi Vatacani at right guard, the sophomore. He's a big he's a big load, especially when he's pulling around. And at right tackle, probably one of, if probably not the most improved players from last year, this year, is TJ Session. And uh, the Cal offensive line as a whole, they've been pretty together ever since that North Texas game. It's been pretty much the same five or six players that have been rotating in and out. I did mention earlier that Braden Rome entered the transfer portal. Uh, he, I believe, is still listed on the depth chart. So Justin Wilcox stated during his Weekly press conference that guys, if they declare to go to the enter the transfer portal, they're not necessarily disqualified from playing in the game. And one guy that is still listed is Braden Rome as our swing tackle. So we'll see if he even suits up Saturday because it's one thing to be on the depth chart and another thing to actually play. But those are the main guys along the offensive line, and they've been working together and working together really well at that uh, so far this season.
2: Now we're going to switch to the other side of the ball. Let's talk about what Cal does defensively, especially focusing on kind of the, the, the back end of the season. After that win over Washington State, um, I'm not I'm not going to you know say that Stanford or UCLA are offensive juggernauts, but clearly there was improvement defensively compared to some of the high scoring games early in the year. But overall, what what's the what's the strength of this defense? What what do they do best?
1: Yeah, it's honestly hard to say what their strength is at this point because early on in the year, the defense was not great in any single facet of the game. The run defense, the pass defense, the, the coverage, the pass rush, all of it was just like less than desirable, even at some points embarrassing, especially when you get to the games like Washington, the games like Oregon, the games like USC. There were just so many issues at so many different places. It was just hard to pinpoint what exactly was going on. But I think the real reason is why they finished so well down the stretch was the fact that they were just finishing finishing sacks, finishing tackles, finishing off turnovers on downs, finishing drives. Those are the main things that are really going on. David Reese, the transfer from Florida, has really come on in recent weeks, has about five and a half, six sacks these last three weeks. He's been an absolute menace. Uh, Kate Uluave, true freshman linebacker, he's come on absolutely strong this last month of the season. And those are the guys who are really have been continually stepping up for Cal for them to go 3-0 and down this stretch with the possibility of looking at 4-0. and But if you had to ask me what the strength is at this current moment, I would say the pass rush. And I know that's not exactly going to be looking towards in our favor right now because we are going up against a big guy in Taj Brooks. But if Cal has been about the improvement that they've had this past month, they're going to need to continue to show it because getting Taj Brooks on the ground is going to be a big ask.
0: So now on the defensive side, you guys have a linebacker. Y'all's inside linebacker, Caleb Elarms, or is that correct how you say his last name? Correct. Okay. He is in the transfer portal. He's not playing... So who are the guys that we should be expecting to see on that inside linebacker? Is it going to be a committee kind of deal where we see some younger guys with some, some older guys or vets trying to fill that void? Um, who's going to be filling that void? Because that's a pretty big void that that inside linebacker position is leaving there.
1: Yeah, that's an absolutely huge void. Losing Caleb Larmsor is understandably huge for us. He was probably one of, if not our best players on defense this whole season, and Obviously, you can tell right now, based on if anyone's been looking online, he's getting some pretty big suitors. But if you ask me who's going to stick next to Cade Uluave, because Uluave is no, without a doubt going to be one of like the pillars trying to get Taj Brooks corralled on Saturday. It's going to be a by-committee approach, a mix of young guys, a mix of old guys. Uh, Hunter Barth, a uh, safety turn linebacker, he'll be one of the guys in there. Nate Ruchina, a guy who is coming back from an early season injury and has been playing a little bit more in recent weeks. He'll be in there. Sergio Allen. Transfer from Clemson, who basically hasn't played at all after getting raved about when uh, Cal landed him from the transfer portal. He won't play. And then uh, probably the fourth guy that I would just keep in mind just in case he plays is a uh, Muelo Iosefa, who's uh, had playing time decreased each of the last few seasons. But those, uh, that's the committee I expect to show up Saturday. And that's the committee that's basically they're going to have to play well alongside Uluwave if they hope to slow down the Red Raiders offense.
2: When we're talking about Cal defensively, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, let's look at kind of what's gone wrong for the Golden Bears. You know, obviously a lot of yards, a lot of points allowed this year, um, but it's it's been a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, some better performances and some really tough ones. What when, when things are going bad for the Golden Bears, when they're having a bad night on the field, what's usually the culprit you look at? Like, well, that's where things have gone off the rails.
1: I would say... The ability to not keep teams off schedule on first and second down are just huge, whether it's in the run game or the pass game. uh, When they played Oregon state back in October, Oregon state was a combined 11 of 18 on third and fourth down. And that was because they were having so many third and ones, fourth and ones, third and twos, things like that. If you look at USC, you have the, obviously the, the mastermind Caleb Williams down under center. Look at Washington, Michael Penix jr. And Oregon with Bo Nix elite buzzsaw machine offenses that are hard to get behind schedule already, but not doing your job only amplifies those issues tenfold. And I think that was just, that was the main thing with what Cal struggled with early in the season in all facets on defense. They didn't get anybody off schedule. They weren't rushing the passer that they, they didn't get their first conference sack. And mind you conference play started uh, in late September. They didn't get their first sack in conference play until USC, which was Halloween weekend. So that was absolutely egregious, probably and heinous and on all fronts from the Cal defense to that point. And it was, a symbol of why they were so down in games with the offense that had picked up its slack in recent weeks. And had been like a change from recent years where the offense wasn't coming to play and the defense was the first half of the season. And even like three fifths of the season, it was the reverse defense didn't come to play and the offense was doing their best to keep things afloat. And I think that was the big deal the defense just couldn't get anybody off schedule.
0: Now working into that secondary, this is going to be a very interesting matchup to me because of, all the names on our side of the football in our wide receiving room that have entered the transfer portal. And that will not be playing in this game. So you guys are going to see a lot of true freshmen out there. A lot of names that you guys haven't seen normally this year on tape. If you guys are looking for tape on some of these guys, as far as the secondary in a whole, what's their, their mindset in going into this game, um, seeing a, a set of receivers that they have absolutely no tape on.
1: Yeah, I think it's a hard it's a hard microcosm to really cross at this moment because you look at some of the guys for Texas Tech who are in the transfer portal, uh, Miles Price and Jernard uh, Bradley. It's hard to know like what they would have given had they stayed uh, with with the pro, with the Red Raiders program and actually turned up for the Independence Bowl. I think the secondary as a whole, I think they're just they're looking to continue to prove themselves because they've been a much maligned unit over the back half, over the first half of the season rather. And a group that was looking to prove themselves towards the back half here with Washington State, with Stanford, with UCLA. I think that's the thing that's really going to show up, regardless of who's uh, there all along the line of scrimmage for Texas Tech. They want just the Cal secondary wants to show, hey, we're still an improving unit under Terrence Brown and Trey Watson as secondary coaches. We're still a unit that's meant to be reckoned with because in recent years, Justin Wilcox and the defensive staff have sent a ton of guys to the league from secondary. Daniel Scott on the Colts, Ashton Davis on the Jets, Cameron Bynum on the Vikings, Elijah Hicks uh, on the Chicago Bears. And there might even be one more that I'm that I'm missing here. But the Cal secondary, they've been a factory of sending guys to the league in recent years. I think that's the big thing that the Cal secondary now wants to show. Hey, we're still that unit that can still get the job done on any given
2: Saturday. Now we're, we're we're kind of touched on offense and defensive side of the ball. Let's start bringing it, the whole picture together here, and let's let's talk about keys to the game, right? And what would you say are your one or two big keys to the game if you're looking for Cal to get this win to 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 exit bowl season with that forward momentum? What do they have to do right?
1: They need to they need to not shoot themselves in the foot. I think that's the the big thing throughout the season that Cal has had a big problem. They'll do nine good things, and then they'll just do a very confusing 10th thing that you're wondering just what just happened there. I, Fernando Mendoza has had an interception in every single game that he started so far this year, and that's not to say he's a bad quarterback. He's been nothing short of phenomenal with his poise, with his accuracy, and his willingness to make plays. But it's just can Cal find a way to not self-destruct at a very inopportune moment? Against UCLA, Mendoza threw a pick to Liatu Latu on the Cal's own 15 yard line that allowed to return to the five yard line for UCLA's eventual only points of the game. And then that was coming off another interception, you know, Mendoza, he's been really good for all his time. The running backs have had some timely fumbles. I think for Cal it's just, can they minimize the self-destruction moment? And if they do that, I think they will be continue to be on schedule. I think they'll continue to turn out long drives and I think continue to score some points within the, I would say the 27 to 34 point region on Saturday.
0: Now, touching on some of those players that, you know, we didn't talk a whole lot on offense or defensive side of the ball. Are there two names out there that we need to be watching for that need to potentially have bigger games that they haven't had necessarily during the season because of circumstances, depth chart? You know how things go like that. Are, Are there two guys out there that need to step up more so in this kind of game moving forward for the Cal Bears?
1: Uh, I think a guy who not necessarily that he needs to like step up per se, but a guy who's going to get his opportunity back after missing the last month of the season with injury is uh, Isaiah Ifonse, who's our backup running back and a transfer from uh, Montana state. He's a guy who who had missed, left the USC game with injury and he's going to be the guy that is, he's questionable to play this Saturday, but he's the guy that's like, okay, if he comes back, Cal gets an added dimension here in their Russian game. And he's a guy, it'll be his final collegiate game. He's got tons of records with the Bobcats and the FCS, but I think Afonso will have something to prove on offense. I think in addition to Afonso, uh, Tron Grizel, who's a preferred walk-on wide receiver, who's absolutely taken the reins as a starting wide receiver throughout the season, and that would not be shocked and should not be shocked that if he gets put on scholarship at the conclusion of this season, he's been a guy that's been really good, 35 receptions, 510 yards, and five touchdowns with seven of those receptions, 136 of those yards, and two of those touchdowns coming in the big game against Stanford. He's a guy who's been consistently uh, getting separation well enough, He's using his body well to gain catches, and he's been really good when necessary for Fernando Mendoza. So I think Tron Griselle and uh, Isaiah Afonso are going to be the guys on offense. In particular, we're going to be like, okay, this is our opportunity to continue to showcase what we've been about this whole season, even with Afonso missing the last half or last month rather of this of this regular season.
2: Okay, well, let's let's now talk about um, let's talk about where Cal I think has. I guess the best way to put this is where do you think Cal has the biggest advantage on the field? Where, Which either offense, defense, wherever, where do you think Cal has the most opportunity to exploit what Texas Tech does? I think
1: Cal's running game on offense, I think will be the best, the best like asset that they have against Texas Tech uh, this weekend. I think when I look at Ben Roberts and his production in, in the same vein with Katie Luave for Cal, that linebacker production somewhat comes as a proxy of the defensive line, not getting the job done. And that we, I mentioned earlier that Cal's defensive line hasn't really been getting the job done in, especially for the first three fifths of the season, Texas tech defensive line. I think I've seen them do some good things, especially against Oregon, which was a hard offense to limit, but a, a game against Texas, obviously that was a route from the start. And it was hard to pinpoint what exactly was the issue in terms of just the sole responsibility, whether it was just the coaching, the effort or anything else. But I think if Cal can, Stay on schedule if they can use their offensive line as the most improved unit that it has been from last year to this year and continue to establish Jade Knott's will in the vein that Texas Tech will with Taj Brooks. I think Cal should be on schedule on offense at least for the majority of the game against Texas Tech's defensive line.
0: Going back to your defensive side of the ball, we've had, you know, our quarterback carousel throughout this season. Baron got hurt the same game. Shuck went down, and he's been dealing with this ailing shoulder issue. And it seems to be that he's probably going to be a hundred percent for the first time this year, mind give or take one quarter. What do you see in Baron Morton that could potentially be bad for the Bears in this game?
1: I think a lot of what Baron Morton has accomplished this season for Texas Tech has been somewhat in the vein of Fernando Mendoza there are guys who just have that it factor of making plays. You look at when you walked into Wyoming and their first game of the season with Tyler Shuck, at quarterback, and then you lose that game. And then eventually he goes down later on in the season. You're like, okay, you know, things are not looking so hot for Cal. Sam Jackson, not doing so well. Ben Finley, not doing so well. Fernando Mendoza comes in. You're like, okay, whatever. What's going to happen here? But I think just the, the ability to will your team to wins. And I know that the defense in particular also stepped up at opportune, opportune times for Texas Tech. During uh, Baron Morton's, uh, I believe five and two record as starter, uh, I think Morton just has a willingness to make plays, a willingness to sling it whenever necessary, and a willingness to really take a hit because it's an under, understated and underrated part of today's game with quarterbacks who are just willing. Okay, I'm a slide here. I don't ha- I don't have what I need, or I'm just going to throw it out of bounds. Some guys who are willing to stand in the pocket and take some hits. And I think Baron Morton, like you mentioned with that shoulder injury and how he'll come back, I think him and Fernando Mendoza can look each other in the face and be like, "Yeah, I see a lot of you." In the mirror here, when I'm looking at you, there's a a guy here who's ready to have something to prove. There's a guy who's willing to put his body on the line for the program. And I think he has a, I think Baron Morton as a whole has Joey McGuire's respect undoubtedly. And I think he's really got command of that locker room when you consider how Texas Tech played throughout the midpoint of the season with him under center compared to how they started out with Tyler Shuck and how they handled, handled the adversity that then.
2: All right. We got our last two questions of the of this interview coming up. But all my first of the two final questions is going to be related to uh, the the Cal coaching situation in general. I just want to get your chance to give your thoughts on how Cal is going to move forward with all the changes going on to this program right now. How can they continue to build what they're doing despite losing some key members of their staff?
1: Yeah, I think in particular where Cal fans have succeeded at the micro level is the NIL Collective. I think the California Legends NIL Collective, is like the movement has been really good. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but Ron Rivera laid out a 500K match challenge and the Cal fans uh, matched that within, I believe, 72 hours. Uh, this past day or two, rather, uh, the leader of Right for California, Avanash, stated, I'll donate uh, up to $1,000 to the collective and I'll have, uh, based on a sum of uh, likes and retweets. And uh, other people decide, okay, well, we're going to match that, too. And I believe they raised just around $10,000 for the collective just in a day like that. So I think that's been an underrated part of how Cal is moving forward because that collective has been really well received. It's been well executed. It's not just a bunch of empty promises for people who are demanding money in this college, uh, college football, for lack of a better phrase, mercenary game. And I think that's been a big help. I think for the coaching itself, I think a lot of people really want and myself included, they want Justin Wilcox to win. Justin Wilcox, undoubtedly great person, a right person. If you're looking for a leader and ambassador of a football team and university in representation, the only thing is, and obviously this is a big deal. It's the results. You can't go five and seven and four, eight, four and eight coming out of a pandemic where you had all the momentum in 2019, you had to realize bill Musgrave and Angus McClure in the pro style slow tempo offense. wasn't going to be it getting Jake Spavadal in there, even for all of the regular season, only for one regular season, you know, you made it, You made it work. You made a willingness to show change. And I think going into the ACC, Wilcox is going to need to be able to continue to show that change because Cal fans, they need to be convinced. They need to be convinced that he is the guy going forward because he has a $20 million buyout right now as it stands. And if they don't, if they flame out in the ACC next year, calls are going to get really bigger because I believe it lowers to Brown 15 million after next season. And I think 5 million more through each of the subsequent years. So I think that's the, that's the big thing for Cal. Ken, can Justin Wilcox continue to prove it? He hired a Sterling Gilbert as a quarterback's coach the other day to help Fernando Mendoza as we transitioned into the ACC. Cal fans and myself included were not exactly thrilled with that hire. We cited some University of South Florida fans and the University of Texas fans with the Charlie Strong era just about who St- Sterling Gilbert is, and I think Cal fans they need to be convinced on the field because now is not the time for talking anymore. Justin Wilcox has to go out and prove it, has to continue to prove that he's the man for the job because all these micro decisions, all these transactions, all these decisions in a vacuum get amplified so much more now that Cal
2: escaped realignment the first time because they won't be so lucky if it happens again. So that brings us kind of to the end of our show. And and this portion, whenever we do one of these interviews, especially before a game, I like to ask to call your shot. You know, you, you you know about as much about Cal as anybody else, may not have as much knowledge of Texas Tech, but how are you feeling? Because I think this gives a good pulse for what are Cal fans thinking heading to this bowl game. Will Cal get the win? Will they have the momentum? Or are they going to fall in the, I, I hopefully not rainy Shreveport weather?
1: Oh, God, yeah. If it if it rains in Shreveport, just blow up all these predictions that we're making on this show. I think that's throw it in the incinerator, burn it, don't ever let it see the light of day, because that just throws in a big wrench to everything that I think that's going on for both programs, because while they have elite running backs, it will make the defense focuses focus a lot clearer on what needs to happen in order to get the job done. Uh, I think personally that Cal has had less of a impact on the transfer portal affecting them and their current roster than <clears throat> than Texas Tech has texas tech losing their two receivers losing monroe mills i believe they also had a defensive end just opt out. i think it's miles cole that just uh, opted out i think those are some big deals for texas tech at positions of need and especially at positions that matter these are starters these are rotational players these are guys that incur significant snaps and that's not to say that cal has their own transfer portal departures i believe taj davis at wide receiver and caleb alarms or at linebacker will be the chief culprits of impact when it comes to seeing guys out there Saturday that you may not have seen before, I think. But I do think at the end of the day, Cal's transfer portal impact for the first round per se is less than Texas Tech, and I feel like that'll be the difference when uh, guys get tired down the stretch, when long punishing drives, and onslaught of body shots, when things have finally started to simmer down and we get towards the end. That's why I think Cal will come out on top in a close game in the vein of somewhere, I believe, around – 31-27, 31-27, something like that. Something I expect close. I expect both teams to score, and I think at some points look unstoppable, but eventually the defenses will corral, and it'll come down to one timely play here, one sack here, one turnover there. And I think that'll just ultimately be the difference, just those transfer portal departures.
2: Well, thank you again for being with us, Thomas. For the, If you skip through the intro of the show, Thomas writes for right for Cal. California a Golden Bears blog they cover a lot of information about all Cal sports that's going to be a place to go look at for any of your preview needs Um, as always guys like subscribe follow whatever it is whatever major podcasting platform as always you can also check out the other great fans first sports network college football podcasts including the fans first. sports sports network college football feed where there is a whole host of conference and all sorts of odds and ends college football related podcasts that are gearing up for bowl season. But once again, Thomas, thank, thank you for joining us. Uh, uh, we hope to, you know, uh, I mean, maybe in the future, these two teams will run into each other again. Now, like, both have survived seemingly the last round of realignment, not gotten relegated. So, you know, let's have fun in Shreveport. Enjoy the game. The game is a late kickoff. It'll be earlier for the West Coast, for those of you in the Bay Area. But it's an 8 p.m. Central kickoff. So, lucky break for those of you who prefer more that 6 p.m. kick, who happen to be Cal fans out on the West Coast. So, enjoy the game. Enjoy the the excitement. Statement of bowl season and and wreck them as always
1: absolutely appreciate you guys having me on and uh, who knows maybe down the line we'll be talking about the impact of uh, Fardaz Amac and uh, Jalen Tyson if we ever meet in March Madness
2: absolutely guys uh we'll have this episode out as tonight we're recording this is uh uh, wednesday night this will be out thursday and we'll have some additional articles and stuff for you guys as we creep closer to the bowl game it's the early early bowl kick so wreck them guys and get ready for saturday